Watch out! It's a fury of teas! I certainly don't know what that means. But I'll tell you what I do know, guys. Tea Fury is the original pop culture t-shirt destination selling unique designs every day since 2008. You can snag their shirts for only 24 hours, starting at midnight. Hey, 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 you! Missing a shirt from the past and want to get it again? Head to the T-Fury Gallery, where you can buy some old designs still in print and vote on others to come back from the dead. You know, I like to say zombie style. Every two to four weeks, T-Fury adds more designs to their gallery, so be sure to keep an eye out for the return of your favorite shirts. T-Fury shirts cover all your favorite topics and fandoms. They got everything from gaming, sci-fi, anime, TV, movies, pop culture, and more. Their T-shirts change daily, so check back as often as you'd like. Also, feel free to get a life if you're not able to uh, check in that much. I don't think anybody's going to hate you for it. Also, don't forget about the T-Fury After Hours sale. If you miss the day's shirt by only a little, they keep the sale going into the wee hours of the morning just for you check out tfury.com backslash nerdist and see what today's shirt is all about guys that is advertising hey guys welcome to episode 94 of the jv club with my marvelous guest Catherine burrell i need to quickly acknowledge that i had a uh slight dip in microphone activity on my part on my end for um some of the episode uh my dog whitley uh <laughs> you'll hear a part where we're like oh she just pulled all on the cord like all the cords out and um shortly thereafter I, there were a couple of places where my microphone kind of dipped um in and out of being able to be heard very quickly um and it was inconsistent so i want to just give a major major thanks to caitlin who uh listened to the episode and just helped me kind of clean it up a little bit and uh, and fix those little issues um so thank you so much for that caitlin uh, adore you see you here in san francisco at sketchfest of course i am recording this in san francisco for sketchfest we open tomorrow uh when this comes out uh tomorrow will be today that's how the future works and uh we have our opening night with uh the 10th anniversary of napoleon dynamite with cast and with tenacious d and a tribute that we're doing to them so can't wait to get it kicked off obviously things are crazed and i'm trying to stay caught up on everything but i do have time for some shout outs gotta make time for those via email i want to thank roberto terry ashley s and chloe it's a very uh international set of emails um uh from all over including ireland moscow uh brazil just exciting guys makes me feel very very intercontinental um is that the word i'm looking for gosh i hope so on twitter i want to thank gator girl uh lynn w alana maggie m beware of trees ken l hannah uh always looking out for me suggesting i get more diverse i really want to promise you that that is something that is constantly at the forefront of my brain and i have so many asks out at any given time to women who are not Caucasian. Um, boy, you know, I don't know what to tell you other than like, I just don't get a lot of yeses or replies uh, from from a lot of the women I've reached out to. But I'm pleased to say that Aisha and I are in touch and that uh, we're definitely going to make it happen uh, in the months to come. So you can look forward to that. I know I do. Uh, via Facebook, I want to thank Kate, Alexander, and Alexis. And then on Amira's Nerdist page, so far we've had weigh-ins from Joseph, Mark, Scott, Andrew, and Minky. And I'll respond to those uh, when I get a shot 
uh, on the page itself. So thanks so much, guys. And um, yeah, if you hear a couple of moments in this episode where my voice kind of drops out in the background, uh, we felt it wasn't that important to hear me going, oh, uh, because the priority is really uh, the stories that Catherine is telling. Um, I hope you enjoy it and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. All right, this train's moving. This train has left the station. Yeah, your dog just left the station. Dog left the station. I, oh boy. Yeah, she's certainly interested in engaging like right now in this moment when we're just getting started. She she okay. understands that it's sitting next her to her 15 minutes. The clock's up on her 15 minutes. Yeah. It's become very like she just got into the passenger seat of this car that I'm driving on the wrong side of the road <laughs> because we're true. in Britain. Yeah. Um, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Here it is, everybody. I don't even know why you wanted to have me on exactly. What? Yeah. This is your opportunity to flatter me. Oh, good. Oh, that's <laughs> what this is. Okay, good. I So now I'm pitching you on why, yeah, while, yeah, why you're, am I while here? you're doing the podcast, I'm in the midst of pitching you on it. <laughs> Listen, you're very funny. Thanks. Uh, you're in this world of ours that we live in. Right. Um, that's my, those are my, that's my criteria. That's fine. That's good I just, for me. We got, we got along like a house on fire when yeah. the first time we hung out at a Kenny Loggins concert. At a Kenny Loggins concert, which like Kenny Loggins, and I think I told you this during the show, like he's, he's like my nightmare artist. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> one of the reasons I respect you so much. Thank you. Uh, no, I just, I, I don't know if you remember his stage pattern i don't know if any of your listeners are fans of kenny Loggins, so apologies if that's the case but it's almost exclusively kenny Loggins. it's the kenny Loggins, the, the, the jb and kl <laughs> yeah. podcast he was all of his stage pattern in, involved like how he uh, managed to corporatize his music he was like i became popular because i was dating the daughter of the ceo of disney or whatever oh God, that's right so he seemed he was kind of canny but i found that he was so dumb in his canniness that i don't know it's like i i trust him like I'd, I'd trust him if I was dating him, but I'd be embarrassed <laughs> to be dating him, you know? <laughs> so you would constantly be kind of defending him to other people, but really you're just defending him to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's perfectly, that's armchair psychology to the yeah. help. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that makes me wonder like how many times do we defend someone legitimately to someone else and aren't really defending them to ourselves. Like that seems rare to me. Yeah. I feel like most of the time that you're uh, uh, bothering to say something out loud, you're usually trying to convince your audience and and yourself. I think, Yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's the way that you can never, whenever you're giving somebody advice, it's usually advice that you need to be giving yourself. That's certainly, but then you can never take it. That's so bad for this podcast, but I constantly do say like any advice I give, it's pretty much because like it's stuff I need to keep relearning over and over again. Yeah. Learn, uh, learning. Um, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) life is a perishable skill. I mean, it really (laughs) every day I wake up and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to manage today. Yeah. And then I go to sleep. I'm like, I managed not to kill myself. So that's great. I did it. So it's a win. I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great listen. This has been a great podcast. Yeah, so far, great. I'll you've, leave now. You've dispensed some very valuable information. And right off the re- top. Assured us that you make it every day without committing suicide. Yeah. So that's a You plus. never know what's going to happen at the end of today. Oh, but that's a plus. We're eating pizza together, though, at the end of the day today. So it's, that's together. a goal. Listen, knock on wood. Stay alive until pizza. <laughs> Stay alive until the pizza party. <laughs> 
stay alive until the and i feel like heaven is a pizza party if there is a heaven i don't believe in heaven but if if there was it would be a pizza party sure you're right borrowed some stones from hell to make the best napoli's pizza (laughs) oven in the sky I mean, it's a give and take. I mean, listen, there's still like a good, there's a still a good relationship and agreement happening between Lucifer yeah. and God, our There's like an, like an economic bilateral agreement that they That's have. Right. They don't have a theological or philosophical agreement, but there's, tra- there's got to be listen, trading we're a, happening. We're a capitalist economy. It's just, a, it's just realistic. It's a supply yeah. and demand situation. If God they, made they us in his, in his image, then it's, then he's, then God is a capitalist. And uh, I mean, and he made pizza. God, Guys, I apologize God to all of you pizza. who are full-on practicing Christians who believe in heaven and hell. We don't know what's out there. I mean, Catherine and I don't know. No. Um, well, we know that we are all made of stardust, but so is oh pizza. God. Pizza's made of stardust, Everything's too. Everything's made of stardust. Including pizza and hamburgers. Why does it taste... Why does that stardust taste so good? <laughs> cheese. Oh, I thought you didn't eat cheese and, uh, cheese and bread. Uh, well, he's doing a gluten-free pizza crust for me so that I don't have explosive diarrhea and That's vomiting. Really nice. uh, you know, bo- so everyone your wins Your boyfriend's in that trying to prevent you from having explosive diarrhea. I don't think he would like that any more than I would. He's so oppressive. Uh, I didn't realize I know. that. Yeah. You should just... As a woman, I have the right to have explosive diarrhea. He's got two toilets in that house. I know. What is he thinking? I've taken dumps in both of your boyfriend's have you? toilets. Have yeah. you? Definitely. Do you have a preference on which bathroom was better? Yeah, um... Martin has a, uh, I don't know if he still has it, but he has a brown bath mat in his master bathroom. Okay. And I find that like, you've got to be really careful. About, here's some great advice, listeners. You've got to be really so good careful about the uh, color of bath mat that you get because too light, everything shows up, right. all the stains. But too dark, all of the all of the dust and the little lint, threads all the f- and lint, lint and all that shows different. up. So like a, like a slate gray, I think, is the mm-hmm. best for a bath mat so martin had a dark brown bath mat in his master bath and so i always felt like even if it was just cleaned i felt like it was always a little dirty and there's always Uh something a little creepy about like your bare feet on someone else's bath mat okay with where the lint is of unknown provenance oh okay so here's where i'm was surprised is that i felt that you were saying you were in support of the brown bath mat no no i think it's too dark for the guest bathroom yeah. but isn't that like a was there like a white rug in there that's I don't know that's a, I think there was at one point light. I think it, it might have been removed one now. but it was around the sink I think it wasn't mm. around the toilet yeah yeah I understand I don't know how often do you feel yourself thinking through this stuff when you're like at someone's house um Here's a, like a fact, a, a fun fact about me is that uh, I grew up in hotels. Um, my father was a hotel manager, so I lived in a lot of hotels growing okay. up. So it's like, I feel like I had a pretty intimate understanding of like how dirty things get when they're just Uh-oh. used on a daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. we're not like cleaning our sheets every day. We're right. not it, like... I would always think about the traffic on rugs in hotels, like new shoes coming in, new shoes coming in from all over the world, yeah. like pressing themselves on these rugs. And, you know, the idea, it's like, it's like the sort of the Howard Hughes, like the close up of all of the microbes yes, that are probably yes. conglomerating in the, in the fibers of the, of the rugs. So I feel like because I, I've, I've ruminated on that a lot because I've been in these, my private space was public spaces a lot when oh, I was growing so up. Yeah. That, um, I and feel you wrote like, about this. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wrote this 
book about my dad and my because my dad was a hotel the hotel manager there's like little stories about sort yeah. of him being um you know in the hotels and me being in the hotels because because of the because the fact that our family was together yeah the, the way that our family worked was that we all lived together um <laughs> and, and i don't know how your family worked anyway let's, let's get how are babies made yeah. <laughs> from, the, from the ground up <laughs> there's a fish bowl <laughs> okay there's all a right. fish bowl and the moms all and the dads right. put goo in the fish bowl yeah. and, and then, then the stork where does the stork come in I think the store comes and like poops in the fishbowl. Yes. You pr- you form a seal over it. Right. It all right. it all kind of like a fungus. Yeah, it's like a fungus that forms, and you break it, and then a baby right. comes out. Like, right. It it gets opaque. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like a clay pot, and then you can't. You're not see saying anything it. we don't all really yeah. know. You take a little hammer, a little, like one of those little archaeological hammers, and then you just tippy tap it until it all shatters, and then there should be a, a newborn b- baby was. boy or girl. Oh my god, in that'd there. be so weird. And that's how Wonderful. babies are made. That's everybody. great. God, we've learned so much already. Yeah, a few things. Well, so okay, so the sort of ambling around. God, like where does so where does that start and how many different cities were you in or was it mostly just like the same city? No, it, it was hotels? it wasn't like it was a medium amount. So I was born in Toronto um and I was brought home like from the hospital to a hotel and then um and then we moved to Bermuda for a year and we lived in a hotel there and then um it, we moved to New Jersey. I would say New York, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It was New Jersey. <laughs> uh-huh, fair enough. Uh and we we moved into a house and I was 5 and I remember like driving up. I feel like I've told this story before uh, to somebody, possibly you. Anyway, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Maybe you have some listeners who haven't met me, you haven't heard the story, but we we drove up to the this house and I remember asking my mother. I was like, "Oh, this seems like a really small place. Like how many other people are going to be living in here with us?" And she was like, "Oh no, this is a this is a home like this is a single family home and this is how a single family home works oh, wow. which was foreign to me wow 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 um yeah and then the following morning the story goes is that i uh, they found me in the kitchen and i had pushed a chair up to the wall where there was a landline and i, I had the phone in my hands and i was dialing two and my mom was like what are you doing and i was like room service isn't answering oh that's a priceless so it, it was story. really it was a paradigm shift so then so i figured out you know after like a little while uh, i figured out what a home was and then we moved to dallas four years after we lived in a hotel again called the Lowe's Anatol, which is now owned by Hilton. It's a very large hotel that has like peacock, like grounds and peacocks running free oh on the grounds my. and koi ponds. And my little brother almost drowned in a koi pond when he was three. Um, and I, and there was like tennis. It, it was all very fancy, but we were like, it didn't, I mean, it felt fancy because of the context, but you know, it was just like we had a normal apartment in the hotel. We just had like access to more yeah. stuff, you know? Let me go ahead and ask these two, uh, requisite questions that yeah. you probably get asked all the time. Uh, two movies how do you feel about the shining and how do you feel about my bodyguard okay the shining um we never lived in a space that was so isolated as yeah. the shining so i feel like when i saw it i didn't have any like points of like no, visceral recognition yeah, no and, connection to no. that that anybody else normally who and my father's like he's he's pretty cl- he's like a parisian like a parisian clown so he's like as far away from jack nicholson as you could possibly get um, I'm, if Jack Nicholson listens to this podcast, which I'm sure he does, he he's probably very upset that yeah. you feel that he doesn't have it within him to play a Parisian a clown. clown, a Buffon. <laughs> <laughs> Before he dies, let's let's get him into a, a Buffon. Please, play the white means. clown, Jack. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, I you got to tell me what my bodyguard is. I don't know what that is. Oh, I love my bodyguard so much. It's not the bodyguard. It's definitely Whitney not Houston. the bodyguard. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything similar other than that someone plays a bodyguard in. You uh, my Bodyguard is one of my favorite movies from the 1980s. It might even be like 79 or something. Okay. Uh, or, or early 70s, but uh, earlier in the 70s. But it's, um, 
um, it's Adam Baldwin, who was on Firefly. We were talking about Jules right. a second ago. Uh, it was one of his first big roles, and it is a story about uh, this young kid, I think played by Chris Makepeace, um, who lives in a hotel. His father's played by Martin Mull. His okay. uh, grandmother's played by Ruth Gordon. So it's like a really great, warm cast yeah. of like 70s actors. And, uh, and he is... Um, uh, bullied at school mm-hmm. and he ends up paying why is he bullied because he's a nerd yeah he's just yeah. like a scrawny little nerd he's a pencil neck geek he's a pencil he's a pencil neck geek and uh and and so he finds out about this character named this guy named ricky linderman who's almost never in school and there's this horrible rumor that he shot his brother uh-huh. and so he's this like very feared character and everyone's afraid of him. And then Matt Dillon plays this like really good, just like asshole bully who is the person responsible for kind of leading this, the ring of bullies that that uh, that bully Chris Makepeace. And Chris Makepeace comes up with this idea to pay Ricky Linderman to be Adam Baldwin to be his bodyguard. Right. And so it's just it's great. It's such a great movie. It's because the great. relationship between the two of them, of course, blossoms into this friendship and yeah. you sort of learn about both of them and why they're both lone wolves and isolated and uh oh it's such a great movie. I'll watch it. I yeah, feel like I, yeah. I, I, so he lives in a hotel in New York. His dad's a his dad's like a hotel manager. Because I feel like you were gonna ask me like do you do you own the book Eloise, which I think was given to me by everyone yeah. in the world I when I was I've ever read it. Oh it's great. She's you know she's a little girl who lives she lives in uh she where, does she live in no not the Waldorf Astoria. She lives in the plaza in New York. Okay, yeah she has a that turtle that she familiar. yeah she's just a little cartoon lady and she's a girl and she's got a nanny and who's really big and uh and proper and she has a little turtle that has a bow around the shell and she leads him around on a on a leash and uh that's pretty you know she just runs around the hotel and and from when you were really little you said you got it yeah yeah we got because well the two books that i always got was eloise because everyone's like oh you're just like the kid who lives in a hotel you're like that one book where there's a girl who lives in a hotel so here and then because we moved around a lot i got um i got oh the places you'll go by dr seuss all the time so i have like 70 copies of that book as well um which like i understand is a book that um whoa yeah, Your dog the just dog. ran away with the computer cord. Yeah. There we go. Um, Thank is you. A, is a book that typically people get when they graduate from college. Yes, I certainly got at least two copies when I graduated from yeah. college. You got it. You started early. I know. I was, I was like the Doogie Hauser of Dr. Seuss <laughs> <laughs> inheritances. <laughs> um, yes, you were. Yeah. And that's the only thing that makes me special. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish I had gone to the places that uh, that the, that yellow suited boy went in, or the places you'll go. I feel yeah. like I feel like it's been it hasn't life hasn't been as fantastical as that. <laughs> but it still is. Yeah. So it's interesting because it sort of has that. You have one of those those histories or those sort of stories that feels like it could crack open like when like if someone hears part of it that their expectation would then be like wow regale me with all of the crazy worldwide adventures you had living in a hotel yeah and then you feel the obligation to be like well listen it wasn't like i mean it wasn't that crazy i mean yeah and it really i mean i think that when you're a kid you're just like you're it's your reality so you're not like um you're not mythologizing your reality i think that's up to adults like we mythologize our childhoods so uh so at the time you're not really doing it so everything and I think that like kids just want to feel normal all the time so they're just like this is normal this is normal I'm like stealing a sandwich from a ballroom in Dallas in which is also my house like this is normal um 
I meant like George H.W. Bush, you know, in like 1990 or something or 1989. Yeah. And, you know, but it felt normal because like it was in my house sort of thing. So um, <laughs> I just name dropped the worst <laughs> man. I'm like, let me tell you when I was I nine. get it. You met really cool, <laughs> yeah. famous people. We're, we're great uh. friends to this day. Uh, but but yeah, no, I mean, it, it didn't it didn't feel it didn't feel strange. And then sort of when you're obviously retelling it when you're an adult, it, it, it all sounds a little strange. Like I didn't I had a tennis instructor named Randy Beaver and I and it was like that didn't even occur to me as funny until I was like 25 and uh-huh. telling the story at a party I was like oh yeah no I tried I was a pretty good tennis player this tennis instructor named Randy and they're like oh haha ha, Randy and I was like oh yeah and his last name was Beaver <laughs> and he also was a pervert who hit on my mother like I mean I remember him being like very sort of like sexually out there and you yeah know, it's like his name did predestine him to the fate of a Randy Beaver I guess so what choice did he have zero I, I was I think about him a lot, actually. I feel like I should look him up. On. How old were you when Randy Beaver was in your life? I was like, I was t- uh, nine or ten. Which hotel was this? This was in Dallas. This was the Dallas one. So he, I mean, I think he was probably in his early thirties. So he's twenty years. So yeah, he's got to be in his fifties, like his his you know early fifties now. Yeah, I wonder if he's still scoring Mad Poon. Because he, he'd like date, you know, he'd date women at the hotel. Like he was always some sure. new hot, hot lady who was staying at the hotel. Oh, that's so amazing that yeah. those cliches that you feel like only exist in films. And then you, and yeah. Then like, oh, there's, I guess there's a reason that. Yeah. Like that tennis pros, golf pros. Exists. Like that's the point. Like you get into it. If you're not, if you're not actually a professional tennis player and you're a tennis pro at a club, like yeah. the, you know, you, and you probably don't have benefits, you know, dental and otherwise your benefits you get are just your sexual like benefits. unlimited <laughs> Pussy. unhappy women <laughs> just yeah that's right oh, no. women who like are there you know and it was the it was like the late 80s where you know like men were coming in on conferences and you know the i'm sure their wives were it's like dirty dancing it's like dirty dancing he was like patrick swayze in dirty dancing yes, i bet yes absolutely yeah. women God, i wonder and, like, if he saw that movie and was like he i'm gonna model myself that after that or, yeah, yeah. Like, I yeah, really relate to that guy. And I mean, it's that perfect. That movie like, was made for me. And the outfits are even better than the dance because it's like tiny white tennis skirts oh, and like yeah. bloomers showing all the time. You like bet. a flash of ass all the time. You bet. It's basically like it's the most nude kind of sport besides swimming, really. It's the most nude kind of it's sport. It's the most provocative outfit. Like I can't think yeah. of a more provocative sports outfit actually than women's tennis. Yeah, because it's also kind of attached to this weird like what other place do you see this sort of like pleated skirt other than like, like the young girl, parochial girl, parochial girl, cheerleaders, yeah. like all of the common sex fantasies yeah. are enacted in the sport of women's tennis. It's so true. To this day, actually, they God, should put so some true. pants on, man. I know. It's I mean, whatever. They should wear whatever's comfortable. It yeah. is nice to feel like I wear tennis skirts when I, when I, mean, I, I play. I do enjoy a tennis dress. It's very, like you, the, the cool breeze on your crotch <laughs> while you're running around. It's no, very, I wear underwear. I don't know if you do. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into we, cooter shots unless I'm on the court. Out. Yeah, we may have figured out part of the problem. Here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why people think it's so provocative. Men do it when they wear kilts in Scotland. Is, are we not... Wait, are we supposed to wear? <laughs> <laughs> no, I refuse. I refuse to wear. I always wore shorts when I played when I was a kid. But uh, but yeah, I got I got into skirts when I was an adult. But no, no, I mean, I wear like several. I like wear like three pairs of underwear when I play tennis. I'm yeah. so afraid of like falling out of my skirt. Like, <laughs> like two or three pairs. Like there's the build. There's like my underwear. Uh-huh. Then I wear a pair of sport shorts. And then there's like yeah. the built in shorts of the skirt. Like, oh, I'm, yeah, you're very I'm like thorough. triple bagging it. It's pretty great. Yeah. 
three rope plus listen i don't know what you got going on down there but maybe it's like a jock strap where like things vaginas. are moving around there's three, a lot of stuff moving around I have down three there. vaginas it's so i might as well use your podcast as an opportunity to tell everybody i've got three of them i didn't know i was gonna crack this wide open so to speak these three wide times. open we cracked it open three times today. i call them the trinity yeah amazing wow <laughs> one yeah. for the father one for the this son and one for the holy else. spirit oh my god which one's your favorite <laughs> holy spirit oh, of he gets to be whatever he oh, wants you know <laughs> what do you want my name oh, to be today holy spirit <laughs> has this gone wrong i feel so bad because i actually you know we just moved we moved and we've got this uh we've got this church across the street from us with this like cool priest he's always wearing like a polar fleece like zip up and yep, I was thinking cooler than polar he's, he's cool and he waves to everybody and he seems like the community really likes him. He just yeah. seems like a rad guy and he's just like really friendly. And it's a Catholic church. I think yeah, it's a Catholic church. Yeah. And I mean, I like I wasn't I wasn't raised with religion, um, but I was I, I've been passing by a lot just because I, you know, it's right across the street and he seems to be very involved. He seems to be progressive. And I was like, can I go in there to get free psychological advice like is confession just a free way of getting like to not pay two hundred dollars for 45 minutes of sh- right. of a shrink job like can right. i just go in there and it seems like a Probably. great resource like yeah you know everyone's using the same sort of like loose ethical tenets right right whether they're atheist or, or not i just wonder because i'm not catholic i and for those of you who are catholic i invite you to share some of your stories with me if you'd like but um how much counseling is different from confession like if confession is just a very simple yeah. process like a quick phone boothy kind of situation where you like unload some stuff quickly and then get in get out yeah versus like getting a counseling session from your advisor your spiritual advisor at church because i do envy people to your point that yes. are like you know i have a, uh, a friend who's very involved in his church and like he for sure goes to his pastor first like he yeah. trusts him implicitly and will go to him with problems about his relationship or with his you know his work or stress level or whatever and that and that person is an amazing free resource yeah it's kind of it is great but you just need to be part of. I think you need to join. You need to join the club. Yeah, I don't know if Polar Fleece is going to like unlock the secrets of spiritual. I can't just come in you. for like a, a, pan, a pancake a rap supper or whatever, yeah. like on Sunday. Just a quick, just friendly rap session with a priest. They gave us. They dropped off little. Um, the church dropped off little uh, gift baskets before Christmas with like uh, tasteful crackers and cheese and onion dip inside. Oh wow, that's really nice. Yeah. That's like a, that's proselytizing that I can get behind. Like yeah. not somebody there at the door, you know, preaching the word of God, just like a tasteful cheese basket that's yes, dropped that's off. Very, very nice. I think they're smart. I think they're, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something going on with that church that I, that I'm into. Yeah. I like the sound of everything that you're saying. Well, we, when we were in um, France uh, over Christmas, we went into uh, Notre Dame uh, <laughs> because they were having this you know they have like this extraordinary it's that mass. moment where yeah it's, yeah, Christmas it's mass. that moment where I felt like and I, and I certainly wasn't doing it for the spectacle of it like this is cool let's see how crazy people act on Christmas like it's not that I feel tremendous <laughs> respect and like I don't even know but, one person you know, like, like how fucking crazy are these motherfuckers gonna get on Christmas no but you know what I mean like I don't like I feel like there are people who are like I have very staunchly atheistic friends who would potentially go go into a church just to be like I'm, oh, this I just is stupid wanna, right guys kind of, but like yeah. kind of but not 
like not so overt, but that there's a sense of like, boy, I, I really can't believe this is a thing. Can you believe this is a thing? Right, oh, right. This is a thing. Um, Hoodwinking while hood, being yeah, there. Yeah, a little sure. bit, and and or just the sort, or definitely just the sort of otherness of something like, yeah. oh, this is what other people do. Yeah, I think that what's good about like that Martin and I have the same sort of, I don't talk about my relationships that much on the podcast. It's funny because you're his friend. So yeah. it's coming up, but um, like he's never been named on the podcast until this point. His but, name's um, Martin. He's, he's great. <laughs> he is great. I love him. Uh, but Janet, yeah. I love him. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Listen, I don't know what to say about this. Plus your three vagina situation. Uh, we'll discuss it over okay. pizza. Pizza yeah. heaven tonight. 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 God willing. God willing. We make it. To yeah. pizza. Um, but I think we both have this sort of same, agnostic and like the kind of enjoyment of the magical wonder of re- of religion and so we when we went in to the church that night i sort of felt like not only was i doing it for my catholic friends to whom that would have been a mecca situation like i can't believe you're getting to be at notre dame on christmas eve that's right. so amazing yeah. um and also just for the the beauty of it and the architecture and like i do i don't have a problem singing Christmas songs that are about Jesus without it meaning anything to me in the same way that I like singing about Santa Claus. They just feel like it's lovely. It means means something very important to a lot of people. And 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 in this context, I'm not going to make it about like the ways in which he's been used for ill and violence. Of course. Let's just make it this beautiful spiritual experience or, or, you know, nostalgic experience or what have you. And so it was nice to just be there and sort of breathe in and honestly to kind of try on that, that piece of the night with all these people to whom it's extremely important and to yeah. feel reverent about it. But also, I guess the long story short, long story long, is that the priest, in this situation where you, I guess we were both very surprised because we expected a very traditional situation because that seems so ancient and mm-hmm. like, you know, this church is so old and the Catholic church is so, can be so rigid. And um, and this priest that was that was leading that particular mass was like, in French saying, you know, I just want to welcome everyone. I want to welcome all the visitors who were standing in the back who came in because they're tourists and welcome you into our, our, our mass together. And, you know, we really believe in diversity and we really believe in like the rights of people to do and live their lives as the, as they want. And we don't judge and, da, da. and it was so liberal. Yeah. And so it was such an amazing dichotomy to be in like the most traditional Catholic experience. I feel like you could have, short of like being in Rome or something sure. on Christmas Eve and still have this like, and thousands of people are there and to still have this, this priest, you know, saying like, listen, different strokes for different folks. It's all good. Merry guys. Christmas. It's neat yeah. to experience religion as a, as a, as, uh, with cultural curiosity or like with the cultural openness that one would go to any city or any country. If you don't have a, you know, a huge understanding of it. Um, it, it's, it's actually a really nice way I think to approach It's a much more empathetic way I think to approach religion is like, Oh, this is a culture that I'm not a part of, but that I'm interested in. Yeah. Cause Did they're, you- cause they're good and bad parts of every culture Absolutely. in the same way that they're good and bad parts of every religion so. absolutely that's a, yeah. that's a really really good way of putting it did you was there anything like uh religion at all in your in your home, no, home front no no you? we have like we have uh in my family you mean? yeah like no like up. we have we were like long generations upon generations of agnostics and atheists but my my dad before getting into hotels was um a chef and uh you know parisian so classically trained yeah, when French was he chef. a parisian clown he was a parisian clown chef in um i guess it would have been his father got sick with emphysema 
uh, when he was 13. So that would have been the early 50s. And basically, my grandfather had to quit his job. So the family was going to be out on the street unless my dad got a job. So he got a job as a dish pig in a restaurant and just scrubbed dishes. Um, and then worked his way up the ranks and was, ended up working at the Georges Cinq in Paris and, and as a night chef. And he sort of worked all over the place. I ended up like going to, um, I think, England for a while. Anyway, um, he, so food, food was our thing. I mean, this is so stupid. It's like food was our thing. It's like, yeah, obviously everyone has to eat dinner together when no, you're family. But super different. But it was like, neat. Yeah. It was like, it was really, and he got, um, you know, by the time, so he, I, he was in hotels by the time I, I was around, he wasn't a chef anymore, but, um, we, meals were always a big thing. Like sitting, we were never, uh, the type of family who didn't, I mean, this is, most people try to obviously have the goal to like sit down alfami like for a dinner but we really we did pretty much every night and uh and it was and my dad usually opened a bottle of wine and he'd let me and my little brother taste it and it was like it was just this opportunity to sort of commune in the way that one would commune at mass on sunday or whatever sure. so that was the closest thing we had it was like over a tin of foie gras <laughs> i'm saying myself that was such a douche great, no it's great it's great it was, I didn't did even... you did he impart a love of cooking onto you yeah well he he um yeah it was more like fear-based he he made me a sous chef for like really early on so it's like if I wasn't washing the parsley properly or if like my knife skills weren't good at a certain age you know he'd he'd sort of like publicly humiliate me and he'd not even he would just be his, his whole thing was like I know you can do better than this like why are you fucking around like you can do better than this he was like that with everything with me in fact I, I went to therapy to talk about this when I was in my uh, mid-20s but um, like I would come back with uh, art projects and some of them he'd be like this is incredible and, and like with half of them he'd be like nah, I don't know I feel like you didn't put your all into it and I know wow. you can work harder than this. And so I feel like, uh, yeah, with with most of the things that I expressed even like a passing interest in, he he would definitely kind of like kindly and hilariously bully me into being better at them. And so yeah. I think that I was like, um, it wasn't so much a love of, co- of cooking as it was a fear of disappointing my father. Um, Interesting. So I became, a, like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm competent enough in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and it has and it gone from fear to love. Like I cook from hopefully a place of love now, but it definitely started from a place of fear. No kidding. And how did so? And what did your mom do? What is she? Oh, she was my mom was a, a like a homemaker. Uh, you know, like raised me and my brother. Um, I've got an older half brother named Mark as well. So he was kind of he was he was a tempestuous teen during those years when I was a kid. And um, yeah, she was also a really great cook. Uh, she she cooked. She's British. I think she cooked for like the Archbishop of Canterbury when she was a. Oh, yeah. So we came from like a we came from a like a cooking a cooking family. So. I guess, yeah. So when I'm talking about food, like food qua religion or whatever, I guess it makes sense because they both have pretty heavy cooking backgrounds. How did they meet? They met my dad. My mom was my dad's secretary. Fantastic. And he was married and they fell in love. And it really, really was. And she she knew that she couldn't be with him because he was married. And as she was sort of falling in love with him, she... um, uh, it was like one night and they were both working late and she went into my father's office and she said, I can't work for you anymore. I have to quit. And he was like, well, why do you have to quit it? Can you, can you tell me the reason why? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And he was like, well, is it, can I tell you, you know, is it something to do with the organization or is it personal? And she said, it's personal. And he said, well, can I ask what it is specifically? And she said, well, I'm in love with you. But then she grabbed her coat and then like Shut stormed out of the up. office <laughs> and they didn't see each other for a year. And then one, it was like the Easter long weekend in the mid seventies and like 1975 or something. And my mother, the story goes is that my mother is like sitting in her apartment, having a drink with her friend, Neil, 
and she hears like something slide under the door to her apartment. So she gets up. She had this feeling about it. So she got up and ran to the door and it was, I've never gotten to read it, but it was an amazing love letter from my father. And he was like, I'm leaving my wife. Um, I'm going to London on business. Uh, When I come back on, you know, Easter Monday or whatever it was, you know, I want to come to your apartment. And, you know, if you say no, we'll never see each other again. But if you say yes, like we'll be together forever. And there's, and then she like, she opened the door and he had disappeared like a ghost from the hallway. And uh, yeah, and they've been together ever since. And so was this a story that you would tell like your friends and other people? And did you, I mean, did you believe all of it? Um, my dad was such a storyteller when I was growing up and it was like, I got, I got wise to the fact, I mean, we all did. I think anyone does when you're sort of around like a real orator, you're like, wait a second. It's not everything that you're saying isn't true all the time. Like you were, you were enjoying this too much. So obviously you're, you're leaving out certain parts that are the difficult parts to kind of make this neater or you're reordering things or you're, you know, you're amplifying moments that maybe weren't as big or whatever. So I think that like when, by the time I had heard the story and it had kind of like settled in I was like you know I'm sure that you know the the mechanics of it are true they got together there's you know it was very romantic it was very difficult because my father left his family you know he had he had a wife and two young sons so like that was that was the very difficult part of the story um but I I think that it was there's obviously so much that I don't know about it and that and 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 you know my dad was a difficult guy at the beginning of their marriage and I you know I remember, I remember them having fights and my mother like packing suitcases and being like I'm leaving and my father saying stuff like but I love you enough for two and it all being very you know very sort of rock and roll um I never felt unsafe in the house but it was certainly like there was lots of yelling going on behind closed doors you know that, that I remember so it, that that obviously factored into the fairy tale story how much of that do you think is cultural I think it has to do with like I think it has to do with being French I think it has to do with being a male like a man of a certain time you know when maybe it wasn't uh, it wasn't really called upon for men to talk about their feelings in a comprehensive way and my mother is a real like she's a real dialogue based person so the worst thing you can do to my mom is not talk to her and my father's big thing is not talking when he gets and he doesn't do it so much anymore but um, when he used to get very mad he would just kind of close down so for somebody who craves dialogue the dialogue based solution and somebody who just needs to sort of of retreat for a couple of hours or a couple of days or a week or whatever that was very difficult so I feel like yeah I mean the the tempestuousness is yeah maybe there's some kind of like French passion but I think it's more like it was specific to my dad being a man born in you know 1939 he also um you know he like he he was born and then raised in the at the tail end of World War Two in France. And my, uh, my grandfather was involved in the resistance efforts. So they were like, he, they were moving around a lot during his early childhood and like, you know, apartments that he lived in were, was, was getting, were getting bombed. And um, so he has a lot of like difficult memories from his early childhood as well. And then they arrived as immigrants in Canada when he was really young and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like, you know, my, my dad has his reasons for shutting down as a protective device, you know? I, so I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's always like fun to be like, yes, he's totally like the, you know, the French clown and the French, the, the passionate French guy, but it's also like just very specific to like where he, you know, where he came from and how he was raised and the yeah. stuff that he saw and that sort of thing. It's interesting too, when you hear about relationships like that, where, you know, I'm just not that way. I think I, I feel like why do that to yourself? You know, why find somebody that you have to work so hard on something with when you could just find someone where all that work is sort of already done and you can just kind of be together and it it, it isn't that much of a challenge. Yeah, I think... 
I think about that all the time because it's like, and you know, you, when when you get into your your thirties, you know, like you hope that at one point during your twenties, you've had some like cataclysmically terrible thing that's happened to you to be like, hey, life's on a fucking cakewalk, dummy. Like something, some bad shit's gonna go down, and hopefully, it's like one or two things in your twenties because it's only gonna get worse as we get older and we get sicker and our bodies decay and our parents die and the random anarchy of things that can happen to us. So it's like you don't really need the conflict in your relationship because like the, the, the anarchy of life is going to do that for you. So, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I, com- I completely understand why people get into relationships with those who they want to fight with. Cause maybe that's a way of shutting, shutting out all the stuff that potentially and will happen to you. But it's like, I, I've always, I've always felt like a partnership should be like, just like two people standing, holding hands on like a helipad, like as the wind blows around them, you know, and potentially knocks them into the sea. And it's like easier to stand up when you've got four legs on the ground and you're holding hands, you know, just yeah. like bracing yourself. So, oh, <laughs> which is why I believe in polyamory. Cause then if you have 16 people and you've got 32 14, sets of legs, 14. we're a huge team that oh, fucks. My God. Well, I feel like I have to ask because I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that everyone feels that way. If there's something specific that has happened to you that made you feel more like, I mean, just to take us back, not to get too intense or deep and you can tell me to fuck off if you want, but to get back even to what we were talking about sort of jokingly at the beginning of the podcast about this idea of just, you know, getting through the day and that kind of stuff. I mean, are there things that have happened to you? Because I think for a lot of us, somehow we end up narrowly missing those cataclysmic situations. I feel like, you know, my problems at that age were chemical. So it wasn't like something happened to me as much as something for, you know, like for many people flipped when I turned 18. It was like, oh, my my brain is super complicated. I mean, I can speak honestly about myself and say that it wasn't until my 30s that things did start happening to me and around me that kind of made me go, oh, shit, I kind of wasn't. I didn't grow up enough. Like you can't prepare your grown-upness for that kind of stuff. If it doesn't happen to you, it doesn't happen to yeah. you. And then you're left with, for me, this feeling of like, I feel like I should be more grown up by now. I don't know how to handle this thing that's happened because it's new and I'm too old for it to be so new. Right. Well, I mean, I think that like, and yeah, I'll, I'll refer to like one incident like that I don't mind talking about because I wrote about it in my book and I've, I've you know, I've sort of speak about it publicly. Uh, but but what, just, just to your point quickly, um, I also think that when the really bad things happen, they're so strange and they're so unexpected that I think that you can't even really brace yourself for them. Like you can, you can make sure that you've got a great resource of like friends and hopefully you've got some family members who you trust and maybe you've got a partner who is really helpful. Um, but, and you're, and you're in a good place in your life and all that kind of stuff. It, like that's the best you can do is just like set up your network, you know, but cause when the stuff when, when, and, and what happened to me, um, uh, and I, I always feel like a little bit bad, like trotting it out, out as a story but um in 2001 i got involved in a car accident that basically there was an old man jaywalking across a main thoroughfare that i was driving down and i hit him and i he died three days later in the hospital um you know i tried to swerve to to not to miss him but it was just he, he appeared out of nowhere basically and i hit him and i killed him it could happen to anyone 
definitely. And it's like, you know, all, all you do then for the months thereafter is you're like, oh, if I had just like spent a little bit more time in the grocery store picking out this brand of ginger ale that I wanted to right. buy or, but then it would have happened to somebody else and not me. It would have happened to somebody yeah. that day, you know, but it did happen to me. And that, that for me was, you know, the great reordering in terms of the way that I saw the world, because suddenly, you know, when you're 21, you're like full of hope. You're usually like, you know, if you've taken an orthodox uh, path, you've, you're graduating from college and the world is about to become your oyster and all that kind of good stuff. And so, and I was, you know, I was literally months away from graduating from college with like a journalism degree. And I was excited to go out into the world and like talk to people and be a, you know, be a journalist and stuff. Uh, and yeah, and I, you know, and I, I was, a, I was a happy person and I became a depressed person in the, in the months thereafter and in the years thereafter, cause it's a difficult thing. It's such a, I knew on a, on a level that it wasn't my fault, but I had removed a life from the earth. So that was, you know, that was obviously like a, a very strange thing to reconcile. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was, that was like my big, that was my big trauma in my twenties. And, you know, uh, like my friends would joke or and still joke. They're like, well, you know, at least, at least that thing happened. Like lightning can strike twice. Right. And it's like, that's not true. You know, like yeah. lightning's going to strike a bunch more times probably. And, yeah. you know, I've had a few more things happen that I don't necessarily feel like I want to do. Like, I will tell you offline that are, that are brutal. And, um, what, what is nice though about, about it's not, nothing is nice about the accident, but it did, it, it did prepare me for the couple of other things that happened insofar as I knew that depression when you're in it and you have talked, you know, you've talked about sort of having chemical stuff like depression when you're in it feels like it's going to last forever. Like this is it. This is my new reality. I'm only going to be here forever. Yeah. And I also felt like I needed people to remind me that I hadn't always felt that way. You know, that there's a terminal like it somehow moves backwards, too. So you look at all of your life as if it's always been miserable. It's like the most panoptic lens. It's like you look around 360, everything that's ever happened to you through space and time is in this like gray, awful lens. And you need people and, and what, and when something, because it was so, um, stark for me, I was happy. Then I was sad. Um, I, I, and, and then I became okay again because I got out of it without killing myself, you know, cause like I that was definitely on, on the menu for a while. So, so what was, what was nice about that experience? Um, if you can call it nice is I knew that there would be a time where I wouldn't feel like that anymore. Huge. Huge. That, is, that understanding of, okay, this is a thing that is survivable. You know, that's a gift. And I agree with you. It's never fun to describe anything that befalls another person that you have anything to do with as tragic um, as that is as a gift, but definitely there's some stuff where there's a sort of recognition of, you know, the two gifts that you get out of it. <laughs> One of them's a bad gift. Um, but for me, I feel like it's the unfortunate gift of dread because you're not looking forward to surviving something bad again, mixed with the knowledge that you can survive something bad again. So it's sort of a, a double whammy. It's the matrix. It's the blue pill and red pill. And you're like, do you want this consciousness or not? And and I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. And and the good thing that comes out of it is at least you get to connect with other people who have that terrible knowledge. And, you know, and maybe maybe I'm lying to myself. I'm like, I have a much deeper connection with people because I'm so sad, you know. (laughs) But it's like I I, and, and maybe that's just something it's probably just something I tell myself in order to, you know, add a layer of like profundity to the the experience. But um, and but th- and that's fine. If I have to tell myself that, that's completely fine. Right, but you already 
had an innate or developed interest in your fellow humans from what you're saying, you know, when you had this horrible thing happen, I can't imagine that it wouldn't just deepen your empathy. So it's not like you're this person who's completely antisocial, who has no interest in others. And then suddenly this opens that up for you. In a way, it does become an accidental tool to sort of and it's fun to hone that tool too you know because it's like i think that when i when it first happened to me in 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 the years in the years shortly after you know i was 22 23 24 i felt like i almost wanted to tell everybody about it because i was like hey this is like here's my wound my wound is here um i i i act from my wound so here understand my actions because this is what happened to me and then and then you kind of sharpen it and you're like okay i don't have to tell everybody it's not my whole self i don't have to let this one thing define you know the entirety of me and then you become a little bit more discreet about it. And then um, because I think that like sometimes when something really terrible happens to you, um, there's a risk of like lording it over people like I've seen it all like I've taken away a life. Therefore, I've seen it all, which is which is incorrect and and a, and a really kind of like a shallow way of looking at it. Um, so so it has been interesting to see how that that tool has become sharpened, uh, you know, over time and how empathy is a, is a really uh, interesting process of evolution and how you can be subtle and nuanced about your empathy as opposed to being like, how are you doing? No, really. Tell me honestly, how are you? T-? You know, cause like not everyone wants that. And then like identifying people who, who do want to talk about stuff and, and, and be, and, you know, and keeping uh, other people on a level that's, you know, more surface or just, you know, like more frivolous, which is also a fine thing. So, so that's been, that's been kind of neat to watch that, to watch that evolve sort of as I've moved away from the incident and more just into the, like the it being a piece of me as opposed to the whole of me you know right right and speaking of being superficial (laughs) so my segue was yeah this idea of like I've noticed about myself that I seem to be like tipping into wanting to listen to more sad music Mm -hmm. and uh and I didn't even realize that was a thing until I suddenly realized I was craving it right and I'm wondering how like when like do you experience that did you go do you go through pockets where something happens and you sort of need kind of it just I'm thinking about it the way that you were talking about yeah. like your approach to the world. Does it become like Do you want to validate all of, of the feelings? Yeah. Do you find yourself to be a person or were you when you were younger? Like even as a teenager before that happened, would you were you interested in sort of cause I I was just talking to um uh my last guest who was saying that, you know, she was Kimmy Gatewood, she was saying that she as a teenager was really good at sort of putting the blinders on and being like, everything's fine. Everything's yeah, fine. Keep and on that was like a coping going. mechanism. Whereas for me, I really wanted to feel the depth of every emotion. I was sure. fascinated by being like, yeah, and you know, I, I didn't want to listen to music. Like I feel sad. I want to feel sadder. Sure. It's not even a word. Yeah. Let's plumb yeah. the depths. What yeah. What were you like when you were a teen? Did you have that kind of angst or were you sort of more interested in like, I always considered like, um, I was always very interested in being a deep teen. I wanted to, uh, I had this I had this ritual with my with my high my best high school friend this guy Anthony and we would go to like a coffee shop and get mochaccinos bowls of mochaccinos this was in Quebec in Canada and like you know talk about not like whatever philosophy is when you're 16 years old um and and uh you know try to use like sixteen thousand dollar words all the time and that sort of thing and uh i I remember feeling and you know so we weren't going out and like getting trashed and partying like you know a lot of other people were and we were feeling really um sanctimonious about that (laughs) and and so i feel like i I probably was a fucking insufferable teenager actually um but no i so i think the stuff when i was a teen uh was 
well, my first CD was Hootie and the Blowfish. Okay, all right. Which is horrible. Uh, yeah, I really, you know, I really liked Ani DeFranco. I really liked Sarah McLaughlin. Like, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to listen to very literal feministic, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, not, you know, poetic. Yeah. Uh, Tori Amos was on my playlist a lot. You know, sure. I really wanted to, um, and maybe it was because I actually, like, I wanted to feel pain and at that point hadn't felt a lot of it. So I was like, well, this is, so I, I feel like I had, I had big feelings but they were always very fleeting because I was a pretty good natured person and I did a lot of sports and so I had like endorphins coursing through my body uh-huh. all the time so but I but I was like sensitive enough to want to know how, you know, how the other half lived I'm doing yeah. awkward air quotes uh-huh. uh, and the other half being like depressed people <laughs> that I had heard about from these songs that I was listening to so I feel like um, it was less like of me wanting to uh, you know understand in a holistic fashion all of my feelings it was like how maybe I am as angry as Ani DeFranco on this, you know, on what I can't even remember one album name first at this point. Um, but yeah, so I felt, I felt like that, that was not, not, not so much a factor. I I was putting on a hat definitely when I was listening to like the sad introspective stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was like, it was a, it was a costume. It was a mantle. What, uh, what, um, sports were you playing besides tennis? I was playing, uh, I was, I was a sixth man on the basketball team. I played first base on the softball team. I was goalie on the soccer team. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I, I, play, I played a lot. It's cause I think because I moved around so much, it was like sport. I was always fine at sports. Like I had good hand eye coordination. And so it was always a very, uh, it was my, um, warp zone into sort of yeah, having absolutely. a team, that you makes know, so much sense. Yeah. You could drop yourself in in that way. Totally. I really appreciate that somehow you unlock the secret to that. I was, on. I felt, I, I just feel like I, I can now, I'm, I'm probably doing revisionist history. I'm like, I was so smart, so savvy to know, but it's like, <laughs> no, I think that when you're a kid, you gravitate towards things you're yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you want to, you want to like be validated for the things that you're okay at. So, but yeah, definitely it was like, it was a way for me to very quickly become part of teams when, and how did you, and so did that, was there, is there a, a social, like that, that social side of it being, with I'm assuming more other girls than like other yeah inter- I mean I didn't I didn't kiss a boy till I was 16 I didn't lose my virginity till I was ni- almost 19 things happened really slowly for me I was always the girl who was the guy you know the guy's friend but never a girlfriend because I think I was just I was constantly desexualizing myself by like you know running laps and turning purple and like wearing jock clothing and not you know I didn't really um did you I- feel like did you identify with femininity outside of that or did you overall just kind of not identify with your own feminine yeah I don't think I did I mean I was like I was horrified when I got I mean I think I think everyone's horrified when they get their period um everyone including men uh no I think that, like, <laughs> especially might, men no, no, they're, fine with <laughs> they're, they're fine with it uh no I I think that um yeah I was I really was staunchly against the girly stuff I thought that it was a point of weakness you know Beyonce wasn't around back then so I feel I feel like there weren't a lot of uh great I mean, I'm sure there were. I just, I just wasn't aware of them. Of like, uh, you know, people who were sort of embracing their femininity in a manner that I could understand and that I wanted to appropriate. So yeah. for me, it was just like largely a rejection of that and sort of a desexualizing of myself because I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't. I feel like I didn't even really have desires. There's this, there's this great French expression um, that translates to appetite comes when you're eating. Mm. So it's like just, you know, if you're not hungry, just eat a piece of food and you'll want to, you'll want to eat it. And like for me, sex was like that. It was like. I was not hungry forever. But then the moment that I kissed a guy, I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> this is all I want to do 
stupid. This is the best. Like, do everything to my body, you right, know? Right, um, Within reason, obviously. No butt stuff. Uh, but, yeah. And then when that happened, uh, God, I could talk to you forever. I will get into this MASH game shortly. But, oh, okay. Um, uh, when that happened, did it alter? I'm asking you because I re- I relate to our mutual sort of tomboy humor in mm-hmm. terms of like not feeling like there's a whole lot that we wouldn't say to each other or around the opposite Definitely, sex that yeah. maybe isn't sexy. Um, but this idea of like how you're perceived, like whether or not you altered that at a point to be, to once you had that feeling where you like, oh, do I need to relate to guys differently to get more of this? Or can I just be this person? No, and I think still get I identified I that actually as, as like a, a, a unique characteristic that I could use in my favor. It was like, oh, just become the person who guys can say anything around and you can, and you can say it back. I, and I think, I feel like I, I noticed, uh, you know, selfishly and manipulatively from an early age or like not super early, but like somewhere in my mid to late teens that like I could capitalize on on candor yeah. and I could trade in candor that makes and sense that, yeah so that it's like sense. I feel like I, I feel like I guess I probably figured that out too yeah yeah and I don't think you I don't think you're a way like of flirting that's like listen I flirt differently than these other people yeah but that's going to reel in a different kind of, of and it's going to be a more it's going to probably be a, a, a person where your hooks and grooves line up more because mm. you're just you're giving more of yeah. yourself and you're being you're being more honest I think that I think the you know the the downfall of that is I feel like for a, a, a not a less receptive person but a more like a, somebody who processes things in a more rudimentary way like a girl talking about sex suddenly just seems like the permission to touch or the permission to be unromantic or something and that was like that was kind of like a shitty side effect of that but then you just like learn to avoid those people you know who right. like become like too titillated by the fact that you're speaking candidly and then you just you just make sure that it like it actually it, it facilitates the cull in a yeah. nice way you yeah, know that absolutely makes sense so you're just like you're not you're not like ending up in these like wildly inappropriate relationships where like it's all about it's all about masks and hiding parts of yourself and yeah. stuff like that and and maybe the other thing is like maybe it burns out quicker as a result but then if it's meant to burn out quick great like I feel like that was a good skill that I had like because of whenever I learned that skill that we've just been talking about by the time I got to my 20s I didn't stay in relationships that were shitty for very long I was like okay this sucks like let's move on you know next 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 um you know like the worst thing I think I ever did was I I remained in a relationship for eight months with a man who didn't kiss me on the mouth which was so weird that was like a sporty challenge I was like like, when am I going to get it? When am I going to get what, his mouth? What the, yeah, what were, those, what were those conversations like with him? Oh, my God. I remember confronting him about it, and he was like this very... He was he was really funny and he was really charismatic and he was really smart and really well read and I, I related to all those that were like wanted to relate to all those things. And then he would say really opaque stuff like, like, ah, oh, kissing for me is like the cycles of the moon. And then he'd walk away from me. And I was like, what? No. It was, and, and, for, and, you know, I think that when you're in a certain age or when you're in a certain mind frame, uh, you know, and you're, and you're interested in mystery, you'll see mystery and shitty behavior, you know, sure. like you'll sure, misinterpret sure, sure. somebody being a piece of shit as like a mysterious, interesting, yeah. unique yeah. human being. <laughs> and I think that I was just like, I was doing a really nice, you know, job of metabolizing that terrible behavior 
behavior into something yeah. that was interesting, you know, yeah. as one does when you're in a newish relationship, you see all the idiosyncrasies as, as charming. And then yeah. most of them after a year, they're not charming anymore. They're annoying oh, or like, or not, or, or they're there, yeah. or you, you've chosen the kind of person who like their the, idiosyncrasies or they cycle, remain or they cycle like that. Exactly. Depending on whatever's going yes. on with you personally and what's going on. In it's your like the cycles of the moon. <laughs> it's, you know what I find kissing? <laughs> it's like, and maybe you'll follow this, Catherine. Yeah. As like the cycles of the moon, by the way. That certainly makes no sense. Like that doesn't it makes even, no sense. Doesn't even suggest that it might make sense with further exploration. It would it mean feels- that the moon would be not in like it would be always in fingernail moon moon stage. Uh-huh. Like because it's like a cycle predicates the idea that at one point it will be one eighty from for what sure. it used to be. So you for kissing, for not kissing, it is kissing. <laughs> so like there was no cycle. There was just an absence. Correct. So he like he wasn't that smart. Obviously, like if the asteroid had never hit the Earth, and the Earth had never, and a piece of it hadn't broken up, broken off, and the Earth hadn't become the moon, uh, or whatever the, that is, is that how the moon was made? Just, that was just in a Radio Lab episode that I highly recommend. It's, it's a short. piece of the Earth that broke off. It's a short. It's a short. It's either a piece of the Earth, or it's a piece of the asteroid, or or something. Oh boy, I can't believe I already. It's a piece. This. It's a piece of space junk. It's definitely a piece of space junk. <laughs> it's, one, piece. It's, it's. I think it's that. Uh, yes, because uh, it, it has to do with how long our days are, and um, and the fact that like there was a time they can tell. For, oh, it's such a good episode. It's a great little short, guys. If you're interested in getting into radio lab, this would be a good way in. But it's this. It's it's about how this asteroid collided with the Earth, and uh, a big piece of it formed eventually into the moon. But that you know. And at first, the way our gravity works, uh, it was like 10 times larger. So like thousands of thousands of thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of years ago, whenever this happened, that if you were just imagine the moon being 10 times closer, the like moon what that would was be so like dope that. instead of looking like yeah, a dumb little sticker in the sky. Like a sticker. Exactly. It's uh, it's about gravity and planetary rotation. And scientists can tell from coral, from studying the growth of coral, uh, the days used to be shorter. That's fascinating. I feel like I only understood a little bit of it. I do have a suggestion for an alternate podcast. You should do a podcast where you try to reiterate Radio Lab episodes. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to get into uh, what's Mash the game? With you. What a kind of game uh, are we going to play? Did you ever play Mash when you were a kid? No. It's like M Mansion Apartment Shack House. Oh yes, That'd yes. Yeah. Note to self, I keep forgetting to explain that I'm going to do this before a podcast episode. So many times the listeners had to hear me explain what mashes that's okay over over. it's good for um, first-time listeners okay so let's see here um all right uh i like to play sort of a, a mix of like categories that i'm gonna come up with based on the podcast episode that we just had although some of that was pretty intense okay and this is supposed to be a little more whimsical but um okay let's say you were uh in your 20s you were a member of a band uh-huh um you list three because we're going to do process of elimination. So one of these three will turn out to be true. Okay. Uh, you were, you were a, a member of a band that, uh, this is super imagination time. So this is like, could be that you were a member of a band that only exists now. Okay. Pretending like it was existed back then. Uh-huh. Like in your, in your fierce twenties, uh, you were in a band, uh, three that you're like, yeah, I was fucking in that band. Three bands. Yeah. Okay, bands that I would want to be yeah. in. Okay, uh, Pavement. Great. Um, Yola Tango. Awesome. Yeah, they're just about the coolest. Thing yeah, ever. they're the greatest. And uh, and I, I'm not going to be shy about it. Radiohead. Fantastic. No reason not. To, no reason. Yeah. No reason. They're kind of a little dorky. I feel like 
I don't know. Whatever. It, it appealed to my teen self. I get the it. deep my deep my when I was trying to be a deep teen. I've brought that up before too on the podcast, so I don't want to get too into it, but I'm just I'm also fascinated with the Tori Amos stuff. I've said already that um she was something that I needed then that I outgrew. Yes. I'm always interested in the idea of like an adult person never outgrowing art. yeah that and yeah both both sides the person who never quote unquote outgrows not to say i'm superior because no, no, i no, didn't no. it's just like why you need someone when you need them artistically yeah. and also how what it what it would have felt like to be an adult knowing that what you're making is the most important to a certain age, age group. Yeah, that I know. Is your age Like group. Josh Groban really being really important to moms. Yeah. And him so only ever seeing that. moms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just really fascinated Me by too. that. Me too. Okay. Um, next question is uh, you can... Uh, it's a sport that you never did get good at, but suddenly, as of tomorrow, Matrix style, you ace it. You can totally kick ass at it. Oh, that's a fun question. Uh, skateboarding. Nice. Two more. Okay. Oh, two. Sorry, yeah, right. It's know, three. Skateboarding, surfing. Mm-hmm. I know that's like the same. And uh, what's another sport that? I would like to be good at um, just r- like running, uh, yeah. d- like a short distance running, like yeah, 100, 100 sprinting. meters sprinting. Yeah. Love it. Being really fast. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, three foods you can have access to with no ramifications whenever you want. Oh, yeah. Okay. Eat them all Pizza. Day, every day. Great. Cake. What kind of cake do you like? Uh, I like um, I like white cake with chocolate icing, but like trashy chocolate <gasps> so icing. I don't good. want buttercream or anything. Right? I just want like Betty Crocker, you know. You know what I love is those fucking cookies at the grocery store that are just like white. white. And with then they the, have the, the, sprinkle, the, the frosting and yeah, the sprinkles. They're like the thick that breaks plastic. off. Yes. Yes. And I love somehow those. It's like, it's like dough. It's yeah. Like, there's like, there's like an element missing. They just decided to cut out all the extra stuff. And it's like, like a new it's matter. Butter, it's sugar. It's flour. It's salt. I can't I eat love that, that anymore, shit. Yeah, it's that too is bad. Like trashy, delicious. Those cookies are crazy. They're good. good. Um, so yeah, and then um, uh, spaghetti with bolognese sauce. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this in. I'm always interested in the answer. Three movies that you can uh, drop into. And in, and sort of live inside of for as long or as as little as you like. Oh yeah, um, I would have liked to drop into. That's a that's a difficult and good question. Uh, I don't know if this is true, but it's the first one that came to mind. So I'm gonna say that yeah. it's true. Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to, like hang out with James Earl Jones, I guess, and Ray yeah. Liotta and Kevin Costner at that point too. Um, I would like to drop into. Um, Oh, you know, this is this is weird, but I, I've always wanted to like, I'm too lazy to be a revolutionary. So In the Name of the Father with Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay, I've never seen that. <laughs> it's really good. And these are weird. And then, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is correct. Uh, and then, I don't know, I just saw the movie Her. Like, I'd be interested in dropping mm. into that for a bit. Yeah, to I haven't see seen what, that yet. It definitely seems like. You sh- yeah, you should see it. It's good. If anything, just for like the color palette. I mean, to drop into it's a very, yeah. it was like a very soothing color palette yes, that movie had. Indeed, I like I like the aesthetics of that. Um, okay, speaking of color palettes, um, it, you are going to create. 
this is I'm making this up completely off the top of my head. That's okay. There's something that you're going to make that is sort of the now equivalent of like I don't know what it is, but it's like people will say about this that it's like the iPhone or something. It could be technology. Yeah, it could be an invention, or it could be like a masterpiece. Like it could be like you're going to paint something that oh. people say is today's Mona Lisa. Right, right, or you're right. You're going to create something that people say is today is like the new iPhone. Or like, right. It's this un it's unknown thing. Pre existing pieces of culture or technology that yeah. I can take credit for. Um, but like what? Yeah. What's the thing? We don't even have to know what it is. It doesn't need to be named. But what's the thing that it will be? But like, what's the thing it will be compared to? Right. I understand. That's um, a very abstract no 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 that's but that's good i uh i feel like uh matches Uh uh-huh convenient uh fire does that make sense like convenient fire uh new matches um i would love to have um written this is a little dorky, but I think I would have loved to have um, written a book that's in the style of a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius by sure, Dave Eggers. You know, sure. like the first like very self-conscious, like sort of semi-autobiographical, but yes. fictional, you know, rides that line. Yeah. And then... Ooh, um, speaking of, I would love, I mean, just from a very, very selfish uh, monetary standpoint for someone to be like, it's the next Harry Potter. Like, Oh, God, that would be, be so, yeah, that would be oh, so God. great. Um yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it was about that with like um, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a terrible book. Right. But it's like to just like crank out a piece of trash like it's that and then suddenly that you can't anticipate. But ugh, still, like, I know, gets you. I know. Um, and then the last one uh, would be this is re- this is a hard. These are hard questions. Well, I'm very challenging. You are very challenging. <laughs> um, I would want to. OK, so I'm going to do something stupid like. Uh, whatever. The, oh no! You know what it is? It's like um some new technology to clean your teeth. Like I, we just got Ooh. a we just got a Sonicare toothbrush, uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's like the smell that like when you first use that toothbrush, the smell that it dislodges from your teeth. It's like when you go to the dentist, you it's like smells like burning and <laughs> fetid food, and it's like I ha- I've had that almost every day, and yes. I've only been using it for a week, and I'm like, holy shit, how much junk is in oh, my mouth? Yeah. So something that's like that, that's like an that. easy a way of like that revolutionizes the way that you clean your teeth. That's great. That's great. These are <laughs> these are fantastic okay, answers, good. no question about it all right um uh fictitious character from anything movies literature uh i guess it could also be like a celebrity a person author something like that i'll just widen it way out uh-huh. um that is uh, that is like oh by the way this person is a really close friend of mine oh that's neat like, like oh willy wonka for sure we know each other right kind of right oh yeah willy wonka was on tv last night he seems like he he seems like such a pedophile though so yeah, it, wouldn't, bad, it wouldn't be him especially the remake especially oh god that haircut i mean they just get like tim burton gave johnny depp a pedophile's haircut in that Yes, he did. Smooth yes, he did. that smooth bowl cut. Yes, he did. Okay, I know um, the the Javier Bardem character from No Country for Old Men. So de- <laughs> death, death incarnate. Well, I want him to be my friend. Um, I feel like I feel. I mean, I'm, this is bad to put because they're a crew. I'm going to name them all as one person. Okay, but in enough. real life, like if I got to walk down the street with all of the members of the Wu Tang Clan and be nice. like, they're all my nice. friends. Yeah, I feel like that would be really neat. Yes, um, great answer. And then I would want. Um, 
I would, I guess, I feel like I want somebody kind of magic, you know, who can, mm. who's a good, help me out with this, who's like a good magical, and I want it to be a lady because I don't have a lady on the yeah, list yet. Yeah, magical lady. Who's a magical lady? How magical? Like Mary Poppins magical? Oh my God, like, Mary Poppins. Great, great. Mary Poppins is great. Because Mary Poppins, I've been actually, I had this conversation with a friend of mine she's recently. She's not that nice. She's not that nice. Yeah. She, she like is great at etiquette, but not in a way that doesn't allow you to have fun. Yeah. She's got ev- like her magic powers and she's got everything in her, in her carpet bag. Like yeah. everything that you need is in there. And I've, I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently just cause it's like, I, I'm like, you know, I'm sort of in my mid thirties and I feel like I have some existential questions, just, you know, just like common existential questions about like love and relationships and, and the, and the, the, the unending future that is my life and time. Or so it feels like, sure. cause everyone's like life's so short, but it feels really long right now now um and uh i i want like a a kind of a brassy yeah. interesting lady to be like hey you know what let me tell you about like uh, if you're gonna make a mistake here's how to make a mistake or yeah, here's she's how like to... queen of tough love yeah like, don't worry practical yeah. hopeful tough we'll stop love. bitching and moaning about that thing that you can you know like right now yeah. i'm like i don't know if i should have a baby it's like she'd be like you're probably just gonna have one so shut up you know <laughs> it's like something like that i love how it doesn't matter if it's Mary a 47 you can yeah. have you can have a baby 47 doesn't yeah. matter you know yeah don't judge great. yourself for it like, oh god i really unlocked it with mary poppins yeah it was great thinking the same thing yeah yeah saving us for banks but just because that is perennially perennially this person that you're like god what a great example of like feeling like there's a real tenderness there but there's also like there's no time for nonsense no no there's no bullshit with mary poppins there's also magic it's great yeah it's great okay um okay getting closer uh uh three places that you have a second home like a vacation home like this is where you go to, can not, it be like is it can it be silly like oh outer space absolutely. or okay absolutely. i mean yeah i want like a, a place in space somewhere right. um but you know luxurious obviously <laughs> luxurious space space place space, luxurious don't... space place right um i would want i really would like a somewhere in the mountains so i can ski okay right, um great somewhere neat uh like veil vale? i don't know what's the most expensive place you can go skiing i just want Might everything be, or like aspen or oh something, yeah aspen or... let's do aspen and then i would want I, italian villa seems kind of boring no you know japan i'd want to i haven't gone to japan yeah, so a know. rat apartment in tokyo there you go Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, I'm saving this for the last. I feel a bit guilty because I'm going to be seeing your boyfriend tonight. That's okay. Uh, But this is imagination time. Three uh, dudes with whom you share um, either just like a sexual, uh, one crazy sexual encounter or can be like your fake imaginary uh, other boyfriend that you get to hang out with or could be somebody that that is from that era of your life or as a teenager, you like really just wanted to be with, you know. Oh, right, yeah. uh, Um, Whoever all the time. And it's it's like, it's it's mainly sex-based? Either way, either way. Okay. I mean, I think like... um, Right now, I feel like Matthew McConaughey is like my most like respect. Like I have a respect crush on him, and I find him very attractive. Got it. I mean, Jordan Catalano from My So Called Life, who is like you know one of my first like early wake up experiences to just being like holy shit, like yeah. you know why don't those men exist in high school right yeah. now? So Jordan Catalano uh, and I think to feel like uh my masochist the masochist in me wants to say jeff goldblum just because i feel like he kind of treat you like shit but he'd be really interesting when he did it (laughs) but he'd be really interesting (laughs) i don't know basing that on things we've heard about him or is that just characters he's played because i feel like he's i never thought of him i guess i've never thought of him as better i've never thought of him as good or bad to a woman i thought that 
I don't know, the rumor that I've heard, I feel like this is, I mean, this is spurious and it doesn't matter because I'm a nobody, so who knows? I thought he only likes to date people who are already involved in a relationship. Oh, I don't know. I yeah, don't I mean, know. those are the rumors. That's that get just a stupid rumor. I yeah. probably just heard that, like, you know, I guess from. I haven't heard about from him like, as, a, like, you know, in the same way that you hear about, like, somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard the rumor. But that's like, also, that could have come to me in a dream or something. Right. I have no idea <laughs> if that's true or not, you know? I mean, I find him very sexy. So yeah, I yeah. 100% am on board for this no matter what. Okay. Okay. Uh, very close, very close. It's going to be really interesting to deal with the audio things that have happened in this episode. Oh, no. Uh, okay. Tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. All right. Uh, pausing this for a moment. Coming back to reveal your 100% guaranteed future. Oh, f- okay. Um, feeling pretty good about this. Uh, you have a lot of great answers. So Thanks. not a lot of misses on this one. Uh, first, I'd like to congratulate you for your mansion in space. You did want something luxurious. <laughs> not to worry. You did get a mansion. That's so conspicuous. Conspicuously yeah, luxurious. Really, you know what you just you got is like Elysium. Yeah, I got, did. That's you great. Basically got That's great. All to yourself. Um, I guess you could share it with the with the people who didn't have the good fortune of experiencing it until the end of Elysium. No, I uh, want to just have it on my own. I just okay. want to walk around Elysium space by hog. myself like a wild Here's woman. Space hog. Yeah. Uh, mansion in space. Uh, okay. <laughs> space um, uh, I want to. Interesting. I, I'm wondering too if like you've got this sort of like thing that happens in sci-fi movies where you're trying to preserve pieces of the earth in case it it explodes right because i like the idea of you surfing in space like somehow you have this sort of well there's a silver surfer character right like there's sure yeah sure there's tons of stuff to surf in space so there's some space surfing because you've certainly perfected that skill you get to like surf and and you get to surf inside a wormhole probably and go somewhere else like you like a space dude space is the biggest wave out there really couldn't have come up with the better place space is the biggest wave out there (laughs) i'm going to punch you in the face (laughs) with joy uh uh, don't not to worry not to worry in space you have access to plenty of pizza great so oh that's good I'm so glad it was pizza because I felt I didn't like the my spaghetti bolognese I love spaghetti yeah. bolognese but like yeah pizza's it's really great tough to beat pizza yeah um uh plenty of pizza to go around for your best friends the Wu-Tang Clan yay <laughs> I'm sure they'd for lo- them in your space mansion <gasps> they'd love that too because they always have the munchies <laughs> that's great <laughs> you only want to eat pizza when you have so the great. munchies um uh, I, this is something uh, as well when you're ready to really ground yourself uh-huh. yet you're also in a fake place right. drop right on into Field of Dreams great that's not it's a nice it feels like a nice balance I like that because that I when I drop into earth I am dropping like transgenerationally like you know I am dropping oh, yeah. into magic earth I'm yeah. not just dropping into normal boring old space-time continuum earth yeah. like there magic is baseball earth magic baseball earth. magic baseball till the land this is great earth um uh, you've also uh, invented, and perhaps this is the reason you have such a resplendent uh, space place, uh, the new matches. New matches. Instant fire. Um, I'm Prometheus. You're Prometheus. <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty amazing. And um, and you also, and this is cool too, because not only do you have your old friends, the Wu-Tang, your new friends, the Wu-Tang clan that you can hang out with all the time, but as a member of Yola Tango, 
you also, I'm sure, have access to like all your bandmates, your former bandmates. Maybe you reunite with them and play sometimes. I'm the female drummer of uh, Georgia Hubley, the female drummer of Yola Tango, who happens to be married to the lead singer, Ira Kaplan, of Yola Tango. So yeah. if, if I'm in the band, then I'm with my husband, which is great. You are. Uh, I don't know where Matthew McConaughey fits into this. Oh, I'm so glad it was him. him. This is so great. So that's the, those are the results of, of your MASH game. Um, Do you know what just happened? You just, you just created a reality that I mean is obviously like based on great questions from you fine answers from me <laughs> but the, but mashed together like that I, I will not I will kill myself before the end of the day because the fact I will not get to live in the reality that you just outlined really sorry to, yeah. is sending me to like paroxysms of sadness <laughs> that's the purpose of MASH. that's a dangerous game yeah that's a game that's smart that kids play that game before they're familiar with the concept of suicide oh, because i think that if we played that more oh, as adults yeah. we would be way i mean it's most adults are quite sad i think yeah. we'd be even sadder yeah i think i enjoy the rich the sort of richness of the return to that sort of fantasy without feeling like I'm too miserable where I am. But it's tricky. I know. I have an idea for you. Okay, forget the radio, though. You reiterating Radio Lab episodes. I think what you should do is start a a cult or like a Tony Robbins style like self improvement seminar that has to do with you playing the the mash game with your followers, and Uh then having that be the an aspirational map for them, and they have to enact what they have said with your help from the mash game in their actual lives here on Earth. So how does that so are you saying that it would be like um you could be as fantastical as we just were and then you have to find a practical application like yes what is the real yes version of that or that like take the things that are fantastical and the ones that you can actually reach like i mean if i'd worked hard enough i could probably insinuate myself into the wu-tang clan uh-huh. you know yeah. if i just like got the right connections and was cool enough and yeah. whatever i i feel like i could be of use in that in that yeah. gang you know um and then obviously like i won't live in space but i I could like travel there because you can do that now and you know I think there's I'm fascinated by the idea of the the sort of big like high hopes kind of secret anything's possible side of the really fantastical part of that but I'm equally as interested in the idea of the psychoanalysis of what do the Wu-Tang Clan represent to you? Why were you interested in them? And how do you apply? Oh, yeah. Like, what is it? Like, let's find out the qualities about them that you can then incorporate more into your life without it being them in the concrete Right. Like, is it it because they are a crew that are all friends? Is it because they're very talented and they've made a lot of money off something that seems really authentic? It's based because you feel like you're not getting enough time to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, very smart. really go down that road. Do it. You you just figure you, you actually figured it. You I'm figured you figured out a way better version of the version that I was talking about. So we'll workshop we this. this together. Yeah. I can be. I don't want to be the. C, you can be the CEO, but I want to have. Uh, I want to be I like your David Miscavige. Sure. It would you know to who, whatever. Who's Dave? Is it David Miscavige, the, the Scientology guy? I don't know how to pronounce his oh, last I name. I don't know. I don't spend. Yeah, but he's but like the pit great. bull of yeah, the science. You know, he's yeah. like the jerk. I want to be like your jerk in this, this scheme. Is be great. But I want you to be the charismatic. Like you're the face. Okay. But I'm right. the enforcer. Yeah. No. 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 It is. It's a thing. It's like when people. 
people really um, difficult people have like bulldogish agents so that they can just seem super easy. Exactly. Like, I'm sorry, my agent. You're the ta- you're the, the talent. Is- I'm the agent. That's what I. Oh, yeah. This that's is very this exciting. Is good. Indeed. We're gonna make some money. <laughs> yeah. This is very exciting. Um, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do some sort of exercise with with you guys, the listener, because it's been a while since I've gotten you guys more involved. It'd be really fun if we did an episode where I had you back and I I send out a list like on the Facebook page. I put a list of categories of things we'll pick like 10 that people send back in and we'll, we'll figure out how to make their lives better and we'll we'll you and i'll sit and hash it out and be like okay da 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 like we'll sort of and then we'll i don't know i'm in like an ongoing thing. that sounds great it's very exciting yeah this was such a pleasure this what a joy. thank you for inviting me remember oh God, when i was so great. insecure at the beginning oh, and you had to tell so me fool. Fool. so foolish fool. <laughs> thanks for having um, me um guys thank you so much for listening and uh I'll talk to you next time on the podcast As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.